Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Sports Podcast, episode 35. That's finally going to get released. Oh my gosh, this has been a pain. Um, I can't remember what happened on Saturday. I think it's just because we got back and we were doing general stuff. We didn't get around to it. Sunday, the printer wasn't working, so I couldn't get you a copy of the notes or anything. Monday, I was sick. Tuesday, you had practice. Mason had a game. So, it's like, we better record today or else I don't know when we're going to get this out. So, this has been a long time. In fact, Jay, I just realized the Cop in Navy game was actually a week ago today. So, normally we try and put these out within a few days and it didn't quite work out that way for this one. So, this was our second part of our spring break trip. We'd already done the two days up in Baltimore on a Saturday, Sunday. Hanover. Uh, done the three in Hanover, sorry, and did the three games there. And we saw there was a game at Navy. It was at 5 p.m. Now, if you know this area, you know that's not a good time to be on the road. Um, if you, it means you'd probably have to leave here around three. It might take two hours to get there when it's only supposed to take an hour. So we did a few other things on the way. I was trying to plan a few things. So where was the first place that we headed? I didn't tell you we were doing this though. We headed to. Dave and Buster's. Dave and Buster's. You've driven by it multiple times in Capitol Heights, and you're always like, ooh, Dave and Buster's. And we always drive by because we're normally going to Baltimore. So I was like, we can stop there. Um, I did a little research on it for us. Uh, Dave and Buster's, for people, because not everyone in England will know about this, is an American restaurant and entertainment business headquartered in Dallas. Each Dave and Buster's has a full service restaurant, full bar, and a video arcade. Of course, you're going for the full bar, right? That's what your favorite bit is. No. <laughs> what, what do you want to go the for? The arcade. Then? You like to go for the arcade. They got the video games, they got the games with the tickets, and things like that. Um, the first one opened in Dallas, not surprisingly, then in 1982 by David Corvio and James Buster Corvio. Poorly. And by 1997, the chain had 10 locations around the country. As of 2022, the company has 151 locations in the United States. So they've grown pretty That's rapidly. At least one per state. Uh, it is. Well, I don't know if they have one in every state, but yeah, it's technically three. I would have thought you'd have done better math than that. 151 and 50 states. I would have thought you'd have known there would have been at least three. three in, if you were to split them equally, sure. Exactly. I'm sure somehow, I'm sure Texas has more just because it's bigger exactly. and that's where they started from. But yeah. And I'm they... assuming Nebraska probably has none because it's just fields. <laughs> is that what Nebraska's like? And Delaware, too. <laughs> that, that we've been to, when we go to Delaware, there are fields, but it's not like it's all fields. You've been to Dover as well, like the capital. That's not just fields. That probably there. doesn't have a Dave and Buster's. It's mostly government. Uh, I don't know if Delaware has a Dave and Buster's. I did not look that one up. Um, you raise video games. There is prizes. Uh, do you want to talk about any of the games that you played or any of the prizes um, that you won? I played some motorcycle games, a mm -hmm. car game. I did axe throwing. That was kind of cool. Like I've never seen that before. It was a rubber Buster. axe. Uh huh. And um, there was like a net, so so that you could like look from behind without getting hurt. Yeah. And. Uh, I thought that was a unique game that was fun to play because uh -huh. normally kids are not allowed to do axe throwing for obvious reasons. It's I did axe throwing before. Oh, you did? Yeah. I thought there was an age limit on that. Okay, I guess not then. All right. Is it was at a medieval fair. Mm hmm. I could have done knives, ninja mm -hmm. stars, or an axe. And I okay. picked axe. Okay, because it's the biggest. Exactly. Uh-huh. But I think we did it twice, and I picked a knife the second time. Okay. I don't remember that at all, then. Okay. You um, weren't there. I guess not. It was me, Mason, and my uncle. Oh, okay. All right. Um... Any other games? I thought you might want to talk about the very first one we played, since it was actually baseball related. And that's oh yeah, why there we're... was a baseball thing. Um, where you could pick the batter. Mm -hmm. I picked Shohei Otani, of course. Uh huh. Um, the pitcher would throw to you. Then you'd have to like press the button to hit it. And um, um, I did pretty good, and Dad did pretty good. 
Yeah, we got quite a few tickets from that one. Mm -hmm. That was one where you could play a game and you got tickets as well. So that mm -hmm. was kind of best of both worlds for that one. Um, and he pri I know you wanted to play the Space Invaders game, but there was this guy who was hogging it for a long time. And then and a then, kid went over. <laughs> and then as soon as he finished, a kid went over. And uh, you blasted through all the tickets anyway, or all the tokens anyway. I was going to put on $15, and I was like, I'll just put 30 on, and then I got it for next time, and pff, all gone. Pretty much okay. One of the games you played Flappy Bird, and it was like it was like a dollar for a game, and you were over in five seconds. And I was like, "Do you even know what you're doing?" And you're like, "I know what I'm doing." And then five seconds later on the next game, you lost it again. So some games are definitely very poor value, and there's other yeah. games that are Flappy very Bridges. good value. Um, but yeah, some of those motorcycling games, like if you qualify, if you completed a lap, which was pretty easy, you got bonus time, you got to do a second lap, and things like that. So yeah. some were definitely better. Yeah, than if others. you get first, you get tickets. Uh huh. Um, and I got first a lot mm -hmm. in those I'm good at that game. Mm -hmm. I don't think you get tickets on the motorcycle game specifically. But... You, you do. Oh, you do? Yeah, okay. I guess put it onto your card. Okay. I know on the Hot Wheels game you did, because I, I took your card when you were playing on one machine so I could play on a game, and I think I got like 100 tickets for yeah, that. Yeah, because you I got first. first. It was 120. Yeah, I got 20 because I picked up something, and then I got 100 bonus for the first. So, yeah, some games were certainly uh, better than others. All right, what prizes did you get, then? What did you get with all um, your tickets? I got a sour flush candy, a mini burger. And what's a sour get... flush candy? Um, it's a toilet-shaped thing, and it has some sour blue... And it has some sour powder, Uh huh. I... and you have two lollipops that you dip mm -hmm. in. You're not going to mention it's toilet-shaped? I did. Oh, sorry, I missed that. I was looking at my notes. I got part. a mini burger gummy candy. <laughs> uh -huh. I which don't is basically the... just a small burger. I don't remember the third thing you got. I know you have three things. I got a ring pop. Oh, okay. I could not remember that part. And then you got a few left over, which is stored uh -huh. on our card somewhere. Actually, I gotta check. I didn't lose where I put the card. It's probably in my wallet somewhere. You probably but... don't even have enough tickets for anything else. Probably not. But you had to pay like three dollars for the card to begin with. But they gave you some bonus points with it anyway. So I was like, sure, we can just save it for next time. Um, unfortunately, this year, co-founder James Buster Corley died. Uh, he suffered a stroke four months previous that caused severe damage to the communication and personality part of his brain. Um, and co-founder David died in 2015. So, yeah, the two people who founded the organization, um, neither, neither of them are alive anymore. Now, part of the plan was, after we left there, was to try... We were trying to get lunch at... Oh, gosh, I forgot what the place was called. Buffalo Wild Wings. Buffalo Wild Wings. And it wasn't clear how to get to it. And by the time we drove back, we got caught in a trap where it was a one-way system. And we could... So we basically just had to go straight onto the interstate. I was like, ah, that's fine. We'll find somewhere to stop. There was a one place I saw along exactly. uh, Interstate 50, all the way until we got to Annapolis. So, as I was looking for Annapolis, to begin with, this trip didn't even nearly happen, JJ. Um, I'd injured my foot playing disc golf, and I could barely walk. I was like, this is going to be a problem. And I looked, and it said that you had to you had to get onto campus, but you couldn't drive onto campus. So I was like, oh great, we got to walk. So I put it in Google Maps. It was like a mile and a half to get there. And then a mile and a half back, I'm like, I don't think I can do that. And so what I, but then I looked on the actual day of, and it said that you can, the, the baseball field is not on campus. So you can go to that without having to, I was like, great, I can probably do this then. But I was like, I still want to go on campus because I want to look around. So we have to take our ID. Um, as a non-American, I had to take my passport so I could get in. But I saw there was a museum, kind of like VMI, so I'm like, you'll find that cool. Um, there was a tourist information center, so I was like, we can look around that. But the problem was, the nearest parking, you can only stay for two hours. I'm like, we're going to have to be quick. Like, we're going to have to, and I'm slow with my foot injury. I'm going to have to try to get in there quickly, walk up to the museum, walk around the museum, come back. Anyway. We tried to get in. That parking lot that was shown only had like about 12 spots. And not surprisingly, Annapolis is pretty popular. It was full. So I was like, all right, we'll drive a little bit further. And the next place we came to, although it was $15, you could stay for as long as you wanted. So I was like, great, that's fine. I wanted longer than two hours, but I needed it to be close so I wouldn't have to walk too far. So what did we actually do for lunch then? Um, We went to Chipotle. Uh -huh. We were at Chipotle. You could look over the harbor as well. Mm -hmm. You got to see a little bit of downtown Annapolis. Mm -hmm. Uh, you got to see a few of the, a few a of the shops. Hmm? Just a little downtown. Annapolis. Just a little bit, yeah. Um, I remembered that area from when I had visited uh, probably about 15 years ago. So I recognized that particular area. Um, did Chipotle. Then we head into the Naval Academy, showed my passport. It was pretty easy. I um, went through the metal detectors and we took a look around the... Um, uh, took all around the visitor center. Now, one of your questions was, JJ, why isn't this at Norfolk? 
because we saw them we saw that the what was it when we went to the tournament the miak tournament last year uh -huh. they had like the naval museum and things like that well as i was doing my research i found some things that might actually answer that a little bit so go ahead the first nautical school of officers was conceived by commodore arthur sinclair in 1819 while in command of the Norfolk Navy Yard. Ah. The, the nautical school was opened on board the frigate. 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 Ooh, I don't even know how you pronounce that. It looks like Guerriere or something. It's something that sounds French. I'm not sure. Guerriere, perhaps? On, the, on December 3rd, 1821. Mm -hmm. In the, between 40 and 50 midshipmen attached to the ship. The curriculum was diversified with naval tactics, astronomy, ge geography, French, history, English grammar, and international relations. It was the small. It was, it was from that small start that the U.S. Naval Academy at Annapolis grew. So you were right, actually. You wondered why it wasn't in Norfolk. Originally, it was in Norfolk, but then it kind of got a little too big there, and that's when they moved up to Annapolis. So the USNA is a Federal Service Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. It was established in 1845 during the tenure of George Bancroft as Secretary of the Navy. The Naval Academy is the second oldest of the five US service academies, and it educates midshipmen for service in the Office Corps of the United States Navy and the United States Marine Corps. It replaced the Philadelphia Naval Asylum in Philadelphia that had served as the first US uh, Naval Academy from 1838 to 1845, and tuition for midshipmen is fully funded by the Navy in exchange for an active duty service obligation upon graduation. So I didn't actually realize that one, it was in Philadelphia for a while as well, and two, we actually talked about how nice the campus was, and I was like, well, yeah, look at how many people are here. There's like 5,000 people. Imagine the amount they have to pay each year to come to a place as cool as this, and they don't pay anything, but after they leave, though, they have to work for the Navy. So that's kind of their trade-off for, for getting that. Um, a lot of people I could have picked for this one, JJ, for the alumni. Uh, I picked out five. Um, I'm going to get you to do the first few, and then I think I have some facts on some of the other ones. Okay. Ross. Oh, well, you're missing a big one right at the top there, first of all. You gave me nothing about it. Okay, well, who is it, though? It's Jimmy Carter, the 39th. President. Isn't that big enough? I, I figured with him being a president, that would be pretty big enough. So I was like, I'm not going to... But the other ones, I thought you'd know who Jimmy Carter was. When I told you who was president before Ronald Reagan, then you were like, oh, okay. So I figured that would be enough for that one. But I didn't think right. you'd know who Ross Perot was, though. Ross Perot was an American business magnate, billionaire, politician, and philanthropist. Ooh, that was a big word. Yep. How is he a philanthropist but still have that much money? Um, he did give away a lot. Well, he was a billionaire. So if you're a billionaire, you can easily give away a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. It's much easier to give money away when you're a billionaire. He was the founder and chief executive officer of electronic data systems in Perot in Systems. He ran an independent campaign in the 1992 U.S. presidential election and a third-party campaign in the 1996 presidential election. Huh? Although he failed to carry out carry a single state in either election, both campaigns were among the strongest presidential showings by a third-party or independent candidate in U.S. history. So I thought that might be interesting because now you tend to think when you see the elections, it's pretty much Republicans and Democrats and that's it. But I remember when I was in England, that was a big thing that Ross Perot was actually a third option. So if you didn't like Republicans or Democrats, you had an option of who you could actually uh, uh, who you could actually vote for. All right, next one's also um, some, a senator as well, or formerly a senator. But go ahead, tell us about John McCain. John McCain was an American politician and United States Navy officer who served a United States senator from Arizona from 1987 until his death in 2018. He previously served two terms in the United States White House representatives and was the Republican nominee for president in, in the, of the United States in, 20, in the 2008 election, which he lost to Barack Obama. 
He did. Now, that was the political side, which is probably most people my age would probably know him for. But actually, I know that there's more of a history. Obviously, with him being in the Naval Academy, he obviously served as well. So, McCain graduated from the United States Naval Academy in 1958. During the Vietnam War, while on a bombing mission in 1967, he was shot down. Seriously injured and captured by the North Vietnamese. McCain was a prisoner of war until 1973. So, simple math there, that's six years. Or it might be five years at the very least. Uh, he experienced episodes of torture and he refused an out-of-sequence early release. Because of his position in the Navy, they offered to release him and he said, no, I'm not going until other people go first. So he actually kept himself as a prisoner of war and let other people get actually released so they could go back to their families. So he was kind of well-respected for that, that he could have taken an easy option out, but he was really thinking about other people. Um, now we've got them sports ones. So, tell us about, I think this is Staubach. I think that's how that's pronounced. Roger Staubach attended the U.S. Naval Academy where he won the 1963 Heisman Trophy. Mm -hmm. After graduation, he served in the U.S. Navy, including a tour of duty in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Staubach joined Dallas in 1969 and played with the club all 11 seasons of his career. He led the team to the Super Bowl five times, four as the starting quarterback. He led the Cowboys to victories in Super Bowl. <laughs> Can you read those? Can you I read, can't read the numerals? No. no. Six. And Six and 12. twelve. So I knew that he played for the Cowboys, and I knew he was a big name for that. But I didn't realize it was such a big gap. I didn't know he won the Heisman Trophy. Um, I probably didn't What's know that Heisman Trophy? It's the best college athlete. A best college footballer, I should say. So he won that, then he served in Vietnam, and then he became a Dallas Cowboy. So there's a lot going on there. Now, I want to tell you about his games, though, JJ. He got his first opportunity to play in the third game of the season against the University of Minnesota. He relieved starter Ron Klemick. Staubach was 0 for 2 and was sacked twice for negative 24 yards. So that's like one of the worst debuts you could possibly have. Obviously, we know it turned out better if he won the Heisman. A week later, playing against Cornell with the offense, offense failing, Coach Hardin decided to put Staubach in the game again to see if he could improve the offense. He led Navy to six touchdowns, throwing for 99 yards and two touchdowns while running for 88 yards and another score as Navy won 41-0. Cornell Ivy League? It is. So that second second game was obviously much better. And at that I, point, I'm assuming he was probably the starting quarterback. I feel like his D went right. Um, not sure. I, I would assume so, but I don't know if that's always true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. But yeah, if you throw for if you got six touchdowns out of him, that's a pretty good game. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's insane. Now, basketball, I don't know if you know, you asked me, I said there's a big basketball player as well, and I said he was one of the greatest players to play, and I said I don't know if you'll know who it is, but go ahead, tell us about David Robinson. David Robinson is an American former basketball player who played for the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA from 1989 to 2003, nicknamed the Admiral for his service in the U.S. Navy. Robinson was a 10-time NBA star. All-Star mm -hmm. and a 1995 NBA v MVP, MVP mm -hmm. a two-time NBA, NBA champion, mm -hmm. 1999 and 2003, mm -hmm. a two-time Olympic gold medal winner, 1992 and 1996, uh -huh. a two-time Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame inductee in 2009 for his individual career, 2010 as a member of the of the 1992 United States men's ba Olympic basketball team. Uh -huh. He was honored as one of the league's all-time players by being named the NBA 50th anniversary 1996 and 75th anniversary teams in 2021. That's a pretty long list of achievements, right? Now, I don't know if that you realize the 1992 Olympics, that was the dream team. Have you heard of the dream team? Now, I know you've seen Space Jam, though, Maybe. right? Yeah. So, with Michael Jordan, that was pretty much that era. So, he would have been... He might even be on Space Jam, actually. I, I, the, the original one, not Space Jam 2. Uh, but that's how big he was. Now, the reason that David Robinson is so significant to me is... And I wouldn't have known this when I first watched basketball in England. But I found this out once I'd moved uh, over here. Is this. After his father had retired from the Navy, the family settled in Woodbridge, Virginia where Robinson excelled in school and in most sports, except basketball. Except basketball. 
Robinson attended Osborne Park High School in Manassas, just outside DC, where Robinson's father was working as an engineer. Robinson was of average height for most of his children, childhood and teenage years, and he stood only five foot nine in his junior year at high school. Five foot nine in high school. In junior and high school, junior. yeah, not at all, not at all, at all. Uh, during his senior year, he experienced a large growth spurt and grew to six foot six. He had not played organized basketball or attended any basketball camps, but the school's basketball camp uh, coach added him to the team. And Robinson earned all area and all district honors, but generated little interest among college basketball coaches. Not surprisingly, if you only played for one year, you probably don't have that much experience. How does he go from five foot That's a nine big growth spurt. to yeah. six foot six in one year? In one year. I don't know. That's a big growth spurt. Hey, it gets more than that. Robinson graduated from Osborne Park in 1983 and chose to attend the U.S. Naval Academy, where he would major in mathematics. That I did not know. Uh, and he played on the basketball team. At the time, the Naval Academy had a height restriction of six foot six for all midshipmen. Now, remember, he's six foot six as a senior, right? Um, okay. And in the autumn, when the new academic year began, Robinson had grown to six foot seven. So, assuming he would be unlikely to grow much more, the Academy's superintendent granted him a waiver. I guess you can't be too tall because you'd be, you won't be able to get through back the ship very easily. Um, I certainly have trouble when I'm walking through ships, and I'm only six foot one and a half, six foot two. Um, assuming he was, oh, we only did that part. But Robinson continued growing, and by the start of his second year of the Academy, he had nearly reached his adult height of seven foot. <laughs> which later prevented him from serving on any U.S. ship. So, having said that you go to the academy and they pay all your fees, but then you work on the ships afterwards, he wasn't able to do that. Um, after Robinson joined the Spurs, they had a then-NBA record improvement. They went with a record of 56-26, and 26, a 35-game improvement. This was later broken when Tim Duncan joined the Spurs. So, yeah, he's, um, he's from this area. He lived in this area, he went to school in this area, and um, then he went to the Naval Academy, and like I said, went on to have a very successful NBA career. I got one last name for you, JJ, at the end, who I didn't know, but he holds a record which I thought was pretty cool, so I thought we'd talk, talk about Keenan Reynolds. Keenan Reynolds is a former American football wide receiver. He played college football for the Navy Midshipmen as a quarterback and finished his career with an NCAA Division one record 88 career touchdowns in an fbs record for 4,559 rushing yards by a quarterback reynolds sir currently serves in the u.s naval reserve with the rank of lieutenant Pretty impressive, 4,500 rushing yards as a quarterback, what is um, but also the most, um, I think that's the division they're in, I can't remember what it's called, um, but yeah, it's like the the college division, but I can't remember exactly what that is. Alright, so we talked about uh, entering, the, entering the campus, um, we took a little look around, one of the first statues that we saw... Uh, was uh, John Archer Lejeune. Oh. So I didn't know who that was, so I took a quick look at who it was. It said he was a scholar, Freemason, United States uh, Marine Corps Lieutenant General, and the 13th Commandment of the Marine Corps. Lejeune served for nearly 40 years in the military and commanded the U.S. Army's 2nd Division during World War One. After his retirement from the Marine Corps, he became superintendent of the VMI. Ah, see, links back. Uh, the Marine Corps base Lejeune in North Carolina was named in his honor during World War II. Now, there was actually two statues that were fairly close to each other. So, do you remember what the second one was? Because you got your picture. It was the goat. It was. Can you remember his name? No. Billy. <laughs> the Billy most goat. obvious name for a goat, I think. Uh, Billy Goat. Um, uh, one of the other things that we saw that I thought was pretty interesting, because I took a picture of the statue, was the birthplace of the U.S. Naval Air Force. Uh, Lieutenant John Rogers took off from this location in the Wright B-1 aircraft. So, right, you got to remember that the Wright brothers only started flying in 1903, so the Air Force has obviously not been going for that long at this point. Um, with less than 450 feet to become airborne, that's not much room to take off at all. An eager group of midshipmen assisted by running alongside while pulling ropes wrapped under the ring, wing struts, and Rogers circled the Naval Academy, made several low passes, and landed. For the first time in history, an aircraft owned by the Navy and piloted by a naval aviator flew from naval property. Naval aviation had arrived in its first home. Later that afternoon, he took off again and turned towards Washington, D.C., 
One hour and 20 minutes later, the Navy's first airplane landed on the National Mall. Can you imagine if you saw that for the first time? You'd have no idea probably what was going on. Like, you might have read about it in a newspaper, like but would, that would be an incredible sight. You'd think, where did that come from? Exactly. If they told you it was from Annapolis, I'll be oh. like, that's a that, long way then away. I'll be like, what? Yeah, that, that's crazy. Uh, unfortunately, a sad ending. Uh, Commander Rogers died in 1926 when the aircraft he was piloting from Washington to Philadelphia crashed into the Delaware River. He is buried at Arlington National Cemetery. The so, Delaware! When we go to Arlington National Cemetery, that might be one we can look out for and find out. And there is a replica of his uh, plane that he flied in, the, in Dahlgren Hall, but we didn't actually go in that one. Um, the museum itself, located yeah. in Preble Hall on the grounds of the U.S. Naval Academy. The museum offers two floors of exhibits about the history of sea power, the development of the U.S. Navy, and the role of the U.S. Academy in producing officers capable of leading America's sailors and Marines. Our displays combine historical artifacts with videos and audio technology to bring to life the stories of the men and the women who have served their country at sea. Did you have something to say before we talk about the museum? Uh... No. Oh, okay. Um, so, do you want to talk about the museum at all? We started on the second floor and then came down to the first. Uh, those were model ships. There were. Do you remember any of the ones that were there? The Victory. Ah, the Victory. Well, that's good because um, seeing as we might be going to see the Victory in person um, this summer, I thought you might want to know a little bit more about the Victory. So, there you go. There's HMS Victory. The HMS Victory is a 104-gun first-rate ship of the line of the Royal Navy. That's a lot of guns. It is a lot of guns, yeah. It's a fighting ship, yeah. She is the world's oldest naval ship still in commission. Still in commission? Still in commission, yep. With kind of. 245 <laughs> years of service as of 2003, ordered 1758, laid down in 1759, and launched in 1765. She's the best. She's best known for her role as Lord Nelson's flagship of at the Battle of Trafalgar. Trafalgar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where we get Trafalgar Square from as well, which we'll probably go to this summer as well. On on the October twenty first, eighteen oh five, in nineteen in in nineteen twenty two, she was moved to a dry dock at Portsmouth, England and preserved as a museum ship. So, she's not in commission as in she's still fighting, uh, but she's now a museum ship, and you can you can walk around the ship. So, it's still out there, it's still in the harbour, and you can still go to it. I used to live very close to Portsmouth in England, so I've been around several times. Uh, Mommy's been around, uh, like, Papa's been around. I um, Mason has not actually been around. I have been. I don't think. Um, I'm trying to remember. I haven't. No, he hasn't. He's not been around. I so, haven't. Yeah, so you haven't. So, we're going to go through Portsmouth, so I think that's probably one of the stops we'll do. Yeah. Uh, the Mary Rose is there as well. Now, I did read a little bit more, and I didn't know about this. After the launch, there was a tendency to sit heavily in the water, such that the lower deck gun points, uh, gun ports, were only four feet above the water. So basically, the sink started to the ship started to sink because it was so heavy. Um, and the so the worry is obviously if you've got a gun, there's a hole there, right? And if the water comes up. That could easily go inside the ship, and you could flood the ship. So that was a real problem. There was nothing they could do about it. It could not be fixed, and it was noted in Victory Sailing Instructions that these gun ports would have to remain closed and unusable in rough weather. So although there was 104 guns, I'm not sure they could all be used altogether. I know. This limited Victory's firepower, though in practice it said none of her subsequent actions would be fought in rough seas. So in the end it didn't affect it, but it could have worked out very badly. I know, why don't they just make a hole in the middle of a plank? Put it in, and then, then it would only flood the cannon. But they could just pour that out. Uh, I don't know. They tried stuff, and it didn't work too well, unfortunately. Also, they said. Now the models were there was lots of different models. They used to do one as a kind of a replica, so they could see what the big ship was, and then what they'd have one that was closer, so you could display. There was also the bone models as well, where the it said French that the French prisoners of war. Yeah, French prisoners of war. They, they were would incredible. They would eat it all the way down to the bone and yep. make ships from yeah. memory. From exactly from memory, they didn't even have anything to look at. They had to do. They were incredible. Yeah, so they, there was one of uh, Nelson's for that as well, um, and it said that the bone model was actually 
displayed atop Nelson's tomb in St. Paul's Cathedral for 27 years uh, before it was removed for repairs in 1834. And then in 1915, it was acquired by a famous Wall Street financier who brought it back to the US and then it got donated to the Naval Academy. But yeah, those were pretty incredible. Um, downstairs, there was a lot of sporting stuff as well. Uh, one of the things I took a picture of was some baseball cleats, which looked nothing like baseball. So even even when we're trying to look around something yeah, that's not baseball sharp. related, we still find baseball stuff. Uh, it said they were worn by midshipman John M. Dooling in 1939. The that? history of Navy, just a player who was on the team that year. The history of Navy baseball began in the post-Civil War era when David Dixon Porter was superintendent. Porter encouraged athletics among midshipmen as a way to channel their energy in a positive outlet. Do you remember at VMI, they talked about how sports were really important to people, and they wanted everyone to do a sport, so same sort of thing. The first academy game was played in 1866, but it was between the first and second classes after graduation, so they basically played themselves. Uh, the okay. first official Navy baseball team was fielded in 1893. Now, as we left there, we were told there was going to be a uh, demonstration on the field, on, I think it's the football field, at 4 o'clock. And unfortunately, we walked around, but it didn't happen. It was too hot. Somebody said it was the hottest day in history on the Naval Academy. Second. And I, and I, oh, second. I said, Since I don't think... Since 1903. I said, I don't think he means all time. I think he just means on this specific date when we were there. I think he means all time. Which was, how is a date in April 5th going to be higher than a date that's in, like, the middle of August or the middle of July? It was like 80-something. And it was only 80-something. I didn't seem that high. I don't know. Obviously, close to the water, it kind of cools it down a little bit. But anyway. So, we couldn't do that. So, we walked our way out. We got back into the car. And it's a good job we did get that parking space, Jay. Because we were in the Mabel Academy for over three hours. Because you were like, how? And I was like, I don't know. Like, it just, there was a lot to see. It was really interesting. Um, so, yeah, if we'd only got two hours, we would have missed a lot of that stuff. Um, we found we drove around to the outside. We went to Terwilliger, I think that's how you pronounce it, Brothers Field at Max Bishop Stadium. Uh, it said reservations began in October 2005 and it features a field turf playing surface and a chair back seating capacity of 1500. A uh, multi million dollar facility is named after the longtime Navy baseball coach Max Bishop, who coached from 1937 to 61, and the Terwilliger family with their generous support of the Naval Academy and the Athletic Association. 24 years coaching. Yeah, that's a long time, right? And it also said that the field turf is the same playing surface that the Tampa Bay Rays uh, use. Uh, Tampa Bay last night, on the time of recording, won their 10th straight game, I think it is. Um, they, they're like the third team in history to ever win that many to start a season or something. You kind of got to go back a long way. Uh, pretty impressive. Now, in this What's one... What's the best? I don't remember. I think it was like 13 or something. Um, going into this one, not a great set of records, to be honest, JJ. Uh, they've won eight. Coppin has won eight, lost 26, and one of them was a tie. However, going into this, though, they won two of the last three games, but they lost 11 of the previous games prior to that. So they were on a bit of a cold streak. So in 2021, uh, they, beat, they beat them 12-10. In 2022, they beat them 15-9. These are all in Annapolis, by the way. And then earlier in the season, they lost 10-2 to on uh, March 1st. So, do you want to talk about... I would say, I've given you all the statistics there, but anything you want to talk about as we got in? There's one thing we talked about straight away, because we saw... Uh, we saw Josh straight away, because we uh, wanted to ask Josh oh, something. Oh, yeah. Um, we asked him what the glove was that he uh -huh. wore... When he was on base? Because we've been wondering about it for a long yeah. time, and we just keep forgetting to it's ask. It's called a sliding glove. So sliding mitt. Suck. I noticed he said mitt, and I kind of looked at it. It is. It's sealed off all around the fingers, so it's kind of like an, I don't want to say an oven glove, but it's kind of just so you can visualize it. It's kind of a little bit like an oven glove. So what's the purpose of the sliding mitt, it's then? It's so when you slide into a base, you don't jam your fingers. It makes sense. It makes sense. Now, I did notice, though, he wears it on his right hand. And I think Angel wears it on his right hand. And we talked about when you slide in, we figured that you'd probably use it on your left hand. Why don't you just wear it on both? Oh, well, I think wearing two would be... That was your question. Why not have two so you can do it? But I was thought if you were sliding, you'd run to the outside of the base and you'd reach out with your left hand. So, I don't know. Perhaps you're sliding around the back of the bag and trying to avoid the tag. And That's another question. I, I kind of want to see, when they're wearing the, uh, the oh. sliding mitt, how they actually use it. Now, the reason I'm asking that is, I got a baseball card yesterday, and the player was wearing a mitt. The mitt's on his left hand. So, I was like, it is on the left. So, I am curious now why some oh, people wear it on the left and I... some people... I don't think it's to do with left and right-handed, because you still run forwards, and you still have to touch the bag. And you'd still want to touch the bag with your nearest hand, I would think. 
you touch him with your wrong hand, you kind of got to cross over yourself. I don't know. Well, for that, you just, like, reach your hand over it. But you're reaching out with your left hand. That's the whole point. I think you should have it on your I left hand. I think it's so that you don't jam the finger you throw with. Oh, so you're talking about jamming two-handed? So you dive both hands together? So you don't... You, so you're kind of diving head first to the base. So you put your hand down where you don't want... You don't want to dam damage your hand-throwing hand? Is that what yeah. you're saying? So that's why uh, I was wearing a different hand. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, that's definitely a follow-up question. Because we'd never seen it before. And we didn't really think about it at the time. Uh, but I was kind of curious. Um, you got to see all the players, because we got there about 30 minutes earlier. So you got to see players warming up. You got to talk to them a little bit beforehand. Stadium was beautiful. Once again, it says a multi-million dollar stadium. It was. It was really multi -million. nice. Multi-million? Yeah, we actually, we actually set up. We didn't actually sit in the bleachers to begin with. We actually could stand along the fence. But then we you did. were right next to where the dugout was. Yeah. Which I kind of liked anyway. We did. We did look around. You like to get foul balls. It was a yeah. problem on this one. Why was this more difficult to get foul balls? Um, there was a road in the river. Yeah, there was a river that was really close. So if it bounced on the road, it went into the river. And there's also, also a road, so yeah. Also, if it went for a home run, you couldn't even get to it because there was a gate that didn't let you go back there yeah so anything went for a home run you definitely couldn't get but you were the only person on the coppin state side to begin with so we're like you you should be good you should be good and i saw something that came up i think it was the chick-fil-a foul ball f-o-w-l and it said if you get a foul ball and you return it you get something now we didn't know if at that point it was i didn't see the rest of it i didn't know if it was a chick-fil-a sandwich i didn't know what it was um do you want to tell well first of all how many balls did you end up getting then five okay and what did you get for those I got a navy cup, another navy. <laughs> I got a navy beer mug, <laughs> a navy koozie, <laughs> which is for beer as well. Uh huh. And um, a navy sunglasses with uh -huh. on like a hat thing on the. It's got like a visor on the front. That's cool. Yeah, I it think says you, navy. I think you changed it, right? So I put it, right? Coppin beat navy. <laughs> Seven to six, and I put the date. Uh huh. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. The oh, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Yeah, they did. They, they they beat them seven to six. And did you keep one of the balls as well then? Yes. Because it had the um, was it? Yeah. Patriot League. Patriot League. So you got one with that. At one point, somebody gave you a ball, and then you caught another one, so you kind of gave one back to those same people. But that was nice of them to, to give you a ball. I there gave were it to kids... the person who asked first. Yeah, there was like two of them asked, but that was nice. They gave it to you because you were younger, but then you had a chance to give it back. But yeah, I think the person was like, you again? Because there was one where you caught, you just came back with the sunglasses, and then there was one that came over, and then immediately I was like, hey, look, there's another one. And you got two, and then you must have gone back within less than five minutes. Yes. And it was... Some... And those two people who asked for a ball, and I said no. Uh-huh. So I just, because I was running. Well, you were trying game. to get one of all the souvenirs at yes. that point. They probably go to every game because they were Navy fans. So I, I thought that yeah. was fair enough to begin with. You were just returning the ball. And they had a ball to play with. So I thought that was fair enough. So I ran to the, the desk. And uh -huh. I said, I have returned. Uh-huh. So I gave him the ball. And then I got the two cups. Mm-hmm. And then you went back later and picked up the koozie. Yeah. So you claimed everything. All right, tell us about the game. You told us the final score was 7-6. to six. Uh, Sounds like a close game, so do you want to break it down for us? In the first, Coppin got two. Yep. The second, Coppin got one, and Navy got four. So, yeah, they took the lead, but then they blew the lead, so it was four to three. And but then, top of the third, they got the run back. So it was yeah. four all and, going into the in fourth. In the fourth, they both got one. In the, five, five. In the sixth, Coppin got one. Uh-huh. In the seventh... Navy got one. So it's tied again. Uh -huh. Um, In the ninth, Coppin got one. And Navy did not get any. So final score, as you said, seven to six. There were two errors by Coppin. 14 hits by Coppin and 11 hits by Navy. So there was a lot of hits in this game. Um, I'm not sure. I think it tells you at the bottom there is some of the details. I was going to ask you what you thought the attendance was, but, but I like the attendance for this one. I thought it was um, 115. <laughs> There's more than 100 people there. There is no way they actually said that. So what was the attendance? says there was 532. There's no That's... way there was 532. I think there was. There was a lot of people no, in there. No, there was no way. Okay, all right. Uh, it says the temperature was 76 degrees at game time, which is a nice temperature. It was a nice warm day, actually. So as the sun was starting to go down, it cooled down a little at bit. At 5 p.m. Oh, I forgot about that. Talking about the sun going down. So what happened towards the end of the game? Remember we heard the sounds from the Naval Academy? Yeah. Um. So at sundown, they 
they took down the flags and they uh -huh. did a trumpet thing. Now, I think they did a practice one because they kind of went... And then players stopped, took their caps off, turned around towards the Naval Academy, and then it was only on for like two seconds. And then they carried on with the game. And then when they did it properly, everyone stopped in the middle of the inning. It was literally just everyone stops. And... So I asked somebody what it was, and they said, yeah, sundown, they take the flag down, do that. That was kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, they did that at BMI. That was, but, they did. But they did. you forgot. They did, but we were there, so we could physically see it. We were watching it. That, all we could hear was the music, so that was a little different. And also, because of the time difference, that was way different as well. We saw that at, like, 4.45, because it was between the first and the second game of that double header. This was, like, at 7, 7.30ish, so the difference in times really kind of threw me a little bit for this one, to be honest. But um, Any specific people you want to talk about? There's some good performances in this game. Giovanni had a good pitching performance. Uh-huh, yes, he did. Yeah. He... It pitched four innings. Mm -hmm. He gave up four hits, mm -hmm. one run, one earned run, one base on balls, one strikeout. And, and actually, Christian Pareca, who started, was good as well. Five innings, uh, only one earned run. There was mm -hmm. five runs, but only one of them was earned because of those two errors that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, four strikeouts as well. So he had a good starting performance and actually saved the uh, bullpen. Whereas if you look at the Navy pitchers, they went through a whole bunch. We lost track. There was actually seven pitchers. One of the first guys obviously got hit pretty badly. Evan Hamill only pitched 1.1 in and gave up three earned runs and put three people on base. He was really struggling with his control. Somebody else came in and um, I think the next, then he got injured. So he didn't even get through more than one-tenth of an inning. And then somebody else came. And yeah, they, I think somebody did say for the midweek games, they try and give people like one inning just to kind of, so everyone gets a chance to pitch. And I guess, I don't think they had to play until Saturday. So I think that was the difference. Coppin had to play again the next day on Thursday, and that'll be our next episode. So, um, yeah, what about the Coppin bats then? It was said there was like 14 yeah. hits. Any of those figures stand out to you? I can see some Liam good... had four hits. He did, yeah. He was also on base one time as well. So he got, he got one a, run, a, a walk, one so he, RBI. He had six at bats, and he was on base five times, so that was particularly mm -hmm. impressive. Um, any of the other ones that catch, catch your eye? I see Brody Black had three, had three walks. So... Um, oh, I remember one other stat from this one as well, because we posted it. I'm trying to look. I don't see it on here anywhere specifically. Uh, Mike Dorsian got hit by a pitch twice, and it was only at the bottom of the second inning. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> he's already extended mm. his lead for What's hit What's LOB? By a pitch. What is what? LOB. Left on base. So that means that you... Jordan uh, was left on base three times? No, he wasn't left on base three times. Oh. He left three people on base oh. when he was batting. Oh, and so, so did Brody around. and Josh. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, unfortunately Angel it had four. Yeah, there was chances when there was bases loaded. But how do you have four people on base? Uh, it does, not in one at bat. It could be over several at bats. Like at one at bat, you could leave three people on. Oh, yeah. And then the next at bat, you could leave one person on. Or it could have been one person four times. Uh, we don't know from that stat without looking, actually. So that's kind of difficult to tell. Uh, one per performance from the Navy side, Alex Smith, uh, four hits and five at bats. That was obviously a pretty good performance as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other stat, that, if I remember correctly for this, that kind yeah, of. Yeah, two RBIs, but no runs. Um, yeah, was, uh, oh, actually, no, that must have been the next game I was looking at. I was going to look at one other thing, but I don't see it. Um, so, yeah, Coppin State won the game. It was dark at that point. And mm -hmm. what happened after the game? Because that was pretty, we didn't leave immediately, because I know you wanted to kind yeah, of talk to, give, get high five some players. Coach let me go into the field for the player meeting. He called, he was like, Jackson, come in. So you had to get through that mm -hmm. little gate by the side. And, yeah. Uh-huh. And they talked to the players and stuff, mm -hmm. and then they let me lead the thingy. The, the, Put your hand like in. one, two, three, Coppin, or something like that. Yeah, I don't know what the champ was because I was too far away. Coppin, four, five, six, family. And you told me that you couldn't remember what came after three. Wasn't that what happened? Didn't you go one, yeah, two, like, three, Coppin, three, uh... I was like, one, two, three, Coppin. Uh-huh. Four, five, six... <laughs> You can remember what it was. Um, yeah. But I asked you afterwards, because I couldn't hear, because Coach was talking too quiet for me to be able to hear from where I was. But uh -huh. you mentioned the fact that he talked about Luke had a good performance. Uh, sorry, Liam had a good performance, which we already talked about. Uh -huh. I think you said did. Brody had a good performance. And I think you said the pitchers as well. Uh -huh. um, didn't Giovanni, did Giovanni yeah, get the game ball? Giovanni got the game ball, yeah. Because there was a time, and I'm not sure, but I think he was bases loaded at one point, and uh -huh. Giovanni managed to get out of that. So um, he got himself into that trouble, but he got himself out of that as well. So that was... Uh... Actually, I don't think it was bases is loaded but there was definitely the winning i think the winning run was on the, was at the plate for sure so it could have gone a little bit bad um anything else from this game no 
All right. Um, I got a post-match comment from uh, their coach, uh, Paul Kostopoulos. Uh, it says, obviously, at the end of the game, we made a base-running mistake, but the game was fought hard back and forth. There were 25 hits combined, and just like I said, it was back and forth the whole game. A midweek type of game, and they got one more timely hit than we did, and that was the ball game. We discussed it a few times. Alex Smith's been outstanding. There's no doubt from a position player standpoint that he's our leader. He does so many things well. He does so many things well defensively, and he does so many things well on offense. He's great with the players, and he's just really coming into his own as a ball player. we got to regroup tomorrow. I don't think they play tomorrow, but anyway. Uh, got to get a good conditioning day in. Oh, and be ready. That's one thing about the season. It doesn't stop. you got two more on Saturday, a game on Sunday, and you got to get yourself focused on cleaning up some of the mistakes and getting ready to go on Saturday. Um, yeah, now, I forgot about it. He talked about the base running mistake. That's what actually ended the game, JJ. So there was only one out, and the ball was hit down the line to third baseman. Um, Brian, Brian Nicholas made a great catch and just threw it straight to second. I, I don't know if he tagged the runner he tagged or he the runner threw it back to second. He but tagged the runner and then, yeah, he tagged the runner. The guy from second assumed he was going to score because it yeah, looked so like he it was going down there. the line. Brian tagged him. Yeah, there was nothing he could do. It so it was a, an unassisted double play to end the game. So, yeah, if that ball had gone past Brian, they would have taken the lead. Unassisted double play is good. Unassisted double play was a kind of a cool way to, uh, certainly to end that game uh, for sure. Um, after that game, we drove, we decided you wanted to go see Ocean City. So although it was two hours away, the next day we were going to UMass, uh, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Um, it meant we had to come back a little bit, but on the next episode, we'll talk about Ocean City. Uh, we'll talk about the UMass series. And, um, I have a couple of other things though that I wanted to show, wanted to talk about in this one. I know you like looking through scorecards, JJ. So take a look at that scorecard. This is from Saturday. This is a minor league game. It's the Chattanooga. Uh, I can't even see what that says. Chattanooga lookouts in the Rocket City trash pandas. Oh, I love. I the, have to see that. Love the trash pandas. We pandas. have to see that. Now I want to see if there's anything you I'll notice go. about that scorecard because this is a very unique scorecard. <laughs> Now you're getting good at noticing them. Is there anything that stands out on this? I think this might be the first time in history this has ever happened on here. Um, well, hold might up. have to do a little how bit. How does he have a 100? How does he have a 1389 OPS? Because uh, he has some powerful hits. I thought you could only have. No, 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 no. If you get two oh. base, um, like if you get two bases, then that counts as two. So okay. if you hit all singles, it would be like one. But no, there's more for it than that. Okay. Um. So we're not looking at that. We're looking at the specific okay. game card. So it's really in that very top part there. Hold up. How do they have zero? His book, seven runs. Ah, well, that's a great oh, probably, little it's question. It's probably all walks. That's a great little question. Um, who actually won this game? Um, the trash pit. The Chattanooga looks out. And how many hits did they get? They had zero. So they had zero hits, seven runs, and they won the game. All right, do you want to know how it happened? Yeah, the... Um, ben Joyce walked the bases loaded despite recording a pair of outs, but the final one proved to be the most difficult. Another walk brought Chattanooga's first run. Three more scored when center fielder Jeremiah Jackson whiffed on what appeared to be a routine fly ball. That was it for Joyce. The rest of the frame reads like this. Hit by pitch, hit by pitch, hit by pitch, run, walk, run, hip, wild pitch, hit by pitch, and mercifully an inning ending strikeout. So that's how they managed to get seven runs in one. I think it was all in one inning, if yeah. I remember correctly as well. He's, if he if he's um on a level that he can be dropped down a team, mm -hmm. he probably will. Now Ben Joyce, we actually talked about last year. I don't know if you recognize the name. No. Uh, ben Joyce is the guy who throws it over 100 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. So, I was like, that I recognized guy. it straight away. He got drafted by the Angels. Um, I think in... He's not so, uh, he lost his control on that one. Um, somebody He came in for somebody, though, as well. Remember? Oh, no, he he walked the bases loaded. So, he was definitely having problems with his control. But, yeah, we've seen teams get no hit before and win. But they've only had two runs. Everyone was saying they couldn't find an example of somebody getting no hit but scoring seven runs. And we'll probably never see it again. We found it. Now, we also talked a little bit about the... Uh, um, the we always talk about the Orioles, and we also talk about the Red Sox. So, um, I've got you, I think this is Baltimore's performances, is that right? 
Uh, oh, actually, that might be the Red Sox performances. I think I might have given you the wrong one. Uh, let me have a look. There, there's Baltimore's. All right. Now, I had this JJ ready basically from Saturday because I thought that's when we were going to record early Sunday. So this is a few days out of date now. But do you want to talk us through the through the first eight games for the Baltimore? All right. Three games at Boston. The first one was one, 10 to 9 by the Orioles. Yeah. They... Then they lost nine to eight. Yes. And lost nine to five. It was because of this left fielder. It's because uh, the left fielder. He dropped it with the like two. It was hours. in his glove. In dropped it. it. It was. It was really bad. We saw the highlights when we were actually in the Baltimore. We might have even talked about that on the last podcast. I'm not sure. So what about after that then? All right. Third game at Texas. Two zero win. Seven yep. two win. Mm-hmm. Five two loss. Okay. And then against the Yankees. Um, the first game was postponed. Yep. That the was sec- the, well, that's the weather that we'll talk about in the next episode, because it was really bad, oh, if you remember, yeah. Thursday night. Yeah. Okay. Um, they won 7-6, and they lost 4-1. to one. So, the record at this point, then, is 4-4, four and four, and um, I have the Red Sox one, so you already read the Baltimore results out. Uh, Pittsburgh was an absolute disaster. Uh, they lost 7-6, 4-1, and then 4-1 again. Uh, and then uh, against uh. Detroit, they won 6-3 and 14-5. So at this point, it's actually a tie, JJ. You're 4-4, four and four, we were 4-4. Four and four. Unfortunately for the Red Sox, the person they signed, um, I think it's Adam Duval, was crushing it. He was hitting lots of home runs. Uh, his um, his um, average was ridiculous. It was like 500 for the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Broke his wrist while he was catching while he was playing uh, while he was trying to catch a ball in the outfield. Not knowing when he's going to return. It's like, Come oh my gosh, that's good. absolutely that's good for us, but not for you. That's not and good not for, for him. That's not good for anybody. We're definitely not cheering on players except who for, break except their. Except for my team. We're not cheering on players who break their wrists. That's uh, not a good thing at all. It's bad for him in the in the Red Sox. And this is a but... few days out of date, but I already mentioned it earlier. Yeah. Tampa Bay is the first big league team, league team to open 8-0. So Tampa's in our division. So Tampa's running away with the American League East right now. Uh, it's the first team to open 8-0 the since the 2003 Kansas City Royals won their first nine games. The Rays have outscored opponents 64-18 to and are the first team to win its first eight games by four or more runs since the 1884 St. Louis Maroons. I've never even heard heard of that team, of the Union Association who did it in their first 13. Oh, so you asked me what's the record number of games to win a season. I got it mixed up with the most number of games to win by four runs or more. So I slightly mixed that up. Uh, No team has won eight straight games by that margin at any point in a season. So not just at the start, any point in a season since the 1939 Yankees did it 10 times in a row. So the Rays are historically good right now. And unfortunately, that's who the Red Sox are currently facing. Whoa. So I can tell you that 4-4, four and four, when we next record, is going to drop significantly. So it won't be anywhere But near how many games high. are in the series? Three. And I listened to part yeah, of the game last night. Yeah, it's going to drop to 4-7. They lost the first one. Um, I listened to the second one while I was at Mason's uh, game because I have uh, MLB Audio, which I signed up for again because I like listening to the games. They just kept getting... They kept giving up one run at a time, and it was always with two outs. So they gave up like one, two out run in the first, then one in the second, one in the third, one in the... They were just bleeding slowly, and then in the end, it kind of got away from them.